Hello everyone, and this is Justin Strange from the Fantastic Mr. Podcast. I just wanted to jump on real quick and remind everybody that Zach, Jake, and I are all three in different states right now, so we can't physically meet to do this podcast. So during the podcast, you might experience some um, breaking up, stuff like that, so please, please bear with us. Uh, We want to make this podcast. We want to do it for you. Um, Just unfortunately, this is the only way we can do it right now, so please bear with us if there are any internet issues you can hear we'll push through it and hope for the best as um, we continue thank you so much for listening hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of the fantastic mr podcast i am justin strange and i am joined here with my lovely co-host jake kramers and zach briggs say hello guys hey how's it going yo what's up <laughs> zach's every time yo that's all he says you know i think that i think that they would be happy if you just said yo and then said nothing else the whole time what Why? do you think I don't know. I'm just making a joke, okay? Yo, can we? Up? I guess the redundancy, perhaps. No, just be funny if all you said was yo and didn't say a word the whole time. Well, when I play video games with people, I often say greet people with yo. Well, you also don't really say much when you play video games with people because I play video games with you. I don't know the people that you play with. That's true. That's fair. You know what? I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to do, so every 10th episode, we're going to do a thing called movies by the decade where we focus on a specific decade until we get to, I guess, 2020, what, 2010s? When we get to 20, I mean, when we get to 2020, we can talk about the first couple of years, but. Have, have we done 10 episodes already? Yeah, we have. Wow. I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be talking about this if we hadn't done 10 episodes, I would think. I'm just guessing though. I'm flabbergasted. It, it, it doesn't feel like 10 episodes. It feels like it's been much faster than that. That's what she said. Is that a good one? Nope. Mm-mm. No, no. Okay. I'll I get think it the listeners time. already heavily cringing about the. Uh, I'm okay. We we'll lost to another... like thirty percent of our listener okay. base. <laughs> <laughs> Started I'll... out to a great start here. I'll make sure. I to... love I'll... these guys. Nope. 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 I'll uh, I'll make sure the next one's really good. Okay. So basically, what we're going to do is every decade or every decade, every tenth episode, focus on a specific decade. And this this first one, we're going to talk about the nineteen. 19- 30s because that's kind of when movies um they weren't invented in the 1930s they're kind of where they they kind of took off um where they started becoming more feature-length films and you know color was you know sound had become a thing now because you know the 1929 the jazz singer helped propel sound into the mainstream then you know the 30s hit and helped propel the sound in film and then we eventually got color in the 30s the wizard of oz uh, like full color not like color on the film and you know make it look like it's in color but it's really not um so we're just gonna i think we've all kind of uh picked up picked some things to talk about as far as the 30s zach and i have picked a couple movies that we want to talk about and i think jake wants to talk about something that has nothing to do with movies like always (laughs) (laughs) so uh actually jake why don't we start with you then why don't we get your interest your your take on the whole 1930s thing real quick if if you don't mind or do you want us to start no i mean when you say i have something planned i really don't it's just vague ideas floating in the ether so well, why don't you, yeah why don't you give us those vague ideas and see if we can take something and run with it yeah that, that that's how we're, that's how we're gonna have to do this yeah sounds great so when it comes to films uh the 1930s i am not familiar with um i'll tell you that right off the bat okay. i'm not someone who particularly enjoys going back and and watching older films lame go ahead i know i'm not i'm <laughs> i'm not i'm not an artist not a film <laughs> but you're the one who want to talk about art guide. history so my main connection to all of this because i didn't take any film history courses i i don't really watch um you know vintage films besides the odd uh film that i watched with my parents essentially um because my dad my dad's 72 really so, yeah Wow. Had me, we, had me late. So, we so both have old parents. all the older films, and that's, that doesn't go back to the 1930s, but all the older films that I have watched mm-hmm. are majorly introduced from my parents. Um, so my connection to this whole 1930s thing is art history because art history courses I did take. I have a minor in fine art. I took 
two art history courses and one art history course uh, specifically in illustration. So that's my connection to this whole deal. It's not so much the film aspect of it, but the art that is kind of surrounding that time. Are you guys kind of familiar with the art that was going on in the 1930s? Not oh. really. I want you to I actually, I mean, I'm really interested to, to find out, to be honest with you. Gotcha. I'm, not being, I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> I promise. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. The 1930s was kind of this interesting time because you had this major world war, if you guys are familiar with it. That, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That people were coming mm-hmm. out of. And sure. that really heavily influenced a lot of the art that was being done, particularly in Germany, which then bled into a lot of the other art scenes. Particularly, I'm talking about the 1930s, uh, like German like Impressionism. Is the German Expressionism movement. I was getting my words mixed up a little bit. Mixer. So basically, in the early 20th century, artists decided to emphasize like their feelings over the, like replicating reality. So it wasn't so much of like being truthful to reality as a vision but more of the inner thoughts and feelings that they were going through because obviously they went through a whole heck of a lot. And that was expressed in a lot of their art. If you notice how how it's connected to films, a lot of the stage sets, if you ever go back and you watch the sets that are made, um, they all have kind of like these like blocky squares and repeating patterns and things like that. That's, that's all kind of from the German expressionism. So in the film sets, because a lot of times... Essentially, in the 1930s, maybe you guys disagree with me, but I feel like a lot of the 1930s films films weren't really films. They were just filmed plays to me, essentially. It was just because you had all these really famous singers and dancers who did silent films and mm-hmm. things like that. And now they have this new art piece. They don't really know what to do with it. And so they essentially just kept doing what they were doing, except they did it in front of a camera instead of a mm-hmm. live audience so i don't know the movies themselves don't seem that particularly interesting to me there are there are a couple Uh, of exceptions which i'm sure you guys will get into Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i'm i'm more connected to like the art side of the things what when i when i hear that i I think of like the early silent films so like specifically with george uh millier um he made a lot of silent films because he wasn't originally wasn't an a filmmaker he he did other stuff and then he he saw his first camera. I think it was at a world fair um, and he thought it was just awesome. So he ended up, I think he, if I remember correctly, and I'm so sorry if I'm, if I'm wrong here, um, I know I teach this stuff, but that doesn't mean I remember everything. I I think he built his own camera. He took, um, he, he had a camera and he, a lot of the older cameras, especially uh, the very first cameras, they were able to project as well as record. Um, And so he, he, I think he built his own camera Um, and his sets, his sets were awesome. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen a trip to the moon. It's about 15 minutes long. It's a silent film. Um, It's one of the biggest like special effects, you know, feats was a bullet being and shot into the moon's eye it was really cool um but that's what i think of when when i hear like art and stuff because like his sets were were pretty beautiful even even with and this was before the 30s and you know i know we're supposed to be talking about the 30s but you know that's all they had back then with with those silent films you know you have people dressed up in like lavish type suits and dancing around and they have to kind of overact because they you can't hear them. You know, they yeah. have to use their body a lot because it's silent. So they're like, okay, well, how are we going to make this funny? All right, well, we got to move our bodies. And so that's kind of what I think of with, with the art. And like, I don't know necessarily about German expressionism, maybe in Germany, the silent films were like that, you know? Um, well, the early films, at least. I kind of jumped the gun because the early expressionism, I got a little mixed up. The German expressionism was the 1920s. Right. Um, and then the war hit. And that's kind of like put a stopper on the expressionism movement and they went into the art deco and the that's art interesting deco, i'm gonna correct myself what i just said earlier art deco or the square like the hard mm-hmm. edges and repeating lines and the kind of blockiness that you would see on all the sets if you go back and you think of like the stage sets that you would see in these films you can you know if you just picture it you're probably thinking of like a blank stage with like a random set of stairs that goes to nowhere yeah, <laughs> and like some like random curtains, mm-hmm, some, yeah. like, some like monolithic statues on the side. That's art deco essentially. And that was heavily like, inspired 
that, and that heavily inspired a lot of the sets and the material that they used at the time, which I think worked with the 1930s because the artists weren't trying to create these intense films. We won't get that until Citizen no. Kane. Mm-hmm. It was focused on the singers and the song, you know, the songwriters and the dancers. And it was a really kind of minimalistic, simplistic backdrop to the movement to the art that these people were doing well when you when you say like singers and dancers and stuff it makes me think more of of 1920s film where it's like silent most but you know in the 30s we well, had we had musical stuff so i get what you're saying like like i keep, there's a- I keep going to like whenever i think about it and this is a little this is obviously past the 1930s but like um oh what is what is that movie it's like um white christmas do you guys remember that with that yes. film, yeah, uh, that's kind of like when I think of singing and song dancing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I think of because they're essentially the the movie was made later, but it was kind of set in the time or inspired mm-hmm. from yeah. that time because it it was these people who did that artwork when they were younger, and that's kind of them older, and they're harkening back to the stuff that they did. So that's what I think of all the sets in that film are inspired by the kind of sets that they would have had in the 1930s because they were performers and entertainers that are essentially they're kind of on the end of their careers and they're harkening back. I don't know. I don't know. That maybe maybe we call all this out and that none of that matters. But all I'm saying is whenever whenever I think of uh 1930s films, I think of just that flat, simple, yeah. blocky stage, which is primarily art deco. Would That's you call it conservative? Would you characterize it as conservative yeah. decoration? Because I mean, yeah. I think that fits with the time of you know, the 20s to the early 50s when you no know, style in general was pretty you know, uniform with the suits, the dresses, you know, the prim and proper facade of society that's portrayed on TV or on, on, on film. Um, and not everyone had that weird mic, that tr- mid-transatlantic uh, accent, the, which is the mix of English and, uh, and, and American English um, accents. Um, like you, you hear some of these actors during interviews, they don't really spe- speak like they do on, on, on set and on yeah. film. So Jake, you got anything more to say about? No, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear about mm-hmm. you guys. I, I'm interested to hear your perspectives on it. Because like I said, 1930s is not really my bag, but I know, Zach, you love the music from that time. Justin, you have done, uh, or you have been through, you know, film history. The 30s, yeah. And and things like that. So I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say primarily. I'm here to learn. Okay. This is a learning experience for me. Zach, you wanna you wanna start with yeah? I might wanna I might wanna start off with something somewhat controversial. You know, African Americans, you know, black people, uh, in the early days, up and probably till the the seventies, I'd say, were limited to the type of roles that they could yeah uh, have on film. I know, you know, limited to the the butler, the Mamie um, type um, Uncle uh, positions. Uh, yeah, Uncle Tom. Yeah, I'm uh, very unfortunate. You no, know, coming across as this you know, goofball essentially, yeah. and with racial undertones. You no, know, you no, know, Louis Armstrong. Uh, you know, he he agreed to you know, play himself in, in a multitude of films in the 30s, 40s, etc. But um, it's something that he, in interviews, expressed that he really didn't agree with, but he felt like he was representing uh, positively um, uh, a certain you know, demographic as well. And people, some people received it well from the African American community, community, but others um, thought he was doing a disservice. Um, by the way, um, he was asked to act on on screen like he would be portrayed as like you no know, some trumpet player in a jungle and uh, we could you no know, no need to dive too deep into the what that i'm trying that's trying to insinuate um but right. you no know, lots of uh situations like in, in the think the movie white christmas or a, a similar movie called holiday inn which is in the 40s uh 1942 holiday inn um, there's this one role uh of this prominent actress i forgot her name but um, but she plays this, she does it pretty well, but she's like a, a maid and she's probably one of the, the highlight roles and you know, quite funny. But I, I feel like, you know, back then it's just unfortunate that African-Americans or minorities in general weren't afforded lead yeah. uh, roles. And, and sometimes the lines that they had were, weren't much at all. They had those, as I said, the, the prejudice, um, 
undertones. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you, you've seen that. There's also been instances of blackface, including in 1942's The Holiday Inn with uh, Bing Crosby. Right. Yeah, blackface was a big thing, especially with like the, the vaudeville and all that with like this, you know, the older sketch type shows. Um, I took a, a African-American history class. It was really, really interesting. Back then, you know, it was like you said, like, you know, the butler, the Uncle Tom, the maid, and all this stuff. It's just like, that's what they played. You know, it's kind of sucked. But then eventually, you know, um, oh, God, I forget his name now. But he was a really um, good actor, really good singer, really good dancer, uh, black actor. And um, he he had a few lead roles. And then, you know, you got Sidney Poitier who came around later. And then you wanted to talk about some, do you want to talk about some monster movies there, Zach? Yeah, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, et cetera. I grew up going to Hollywood video renting those just i mean the covers came across as pretty cool and i remember watching super cool. frankenstein for the first time as boris karloff i believe who portrays frankenstein's monster and he proceeded to play him in a number of other iterations of frankenstein kind of uncomfortable you know as a kid you know, watching you know, certain scenes just very creepy um, his portrayal of of the monster including one scene i think he drowns essentially a little girl yeah, yeah. Uh, the pond. That was one of the m mm -hmm. most disturbing scenes I'd seen in any movie. Maybe initially I thought because it was black and white as a kid, maybe I wouldn't be as okay. turned off or you know fright frightened. But it was. It kind of had. I know kind of an odd comparison, but I guess back then. You know, I was taught about you no know, stranger danger for my parents, you know, <laughs> you know pedophiles and and et cetera. Right. But I I felt not obviously there was no pedophilia in this in in the Frankenstein movie, but I had that kind of weird you no know, vibes. vibes like maybe that it comes across as a creep. But, uh, so that's that was I mean I, I enjoyed the movie. I had also another you no know, reaction when the, the the villagers are basically picketing and have their pitchforks and they ultimately kill uh, the monster uh, and you could hear the screams of Boris's uh, Frankenstein's monster as he's being burned alive in my, my was it a windmill or a church some type of structure but yeah. I think that's how the movie ends as well but the you know, it, the Frankenstein movie that I think that's what popularized the, the, the one of the, 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 the quotes of you know he's alive he's oh, yeah. alive mm -hmm. that, that, that's pretty memorable in yeah. film Thermology uh, quotes. Um, I think, uh, you no know, Dracula, you know, in similar ways had demonstrated how, you know, for the first time, scary movies or horror flicks can, you know, evoke these, you know, various type of reactions. Because in the, in the silent film days, what do we, what, what do we, what do you have? Like Mister Feratu? What, what was that guy's name? Yes, Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, yeah was it wasn't that uh, during the silent film age? I, I, I feel yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah I believe that was. It was like the, the 20s. late 20s. That was yeah. 20, 28, 29. Like it was yeah. right before the 19th. That movie had comedic aspects, I felt like, as well. But in general, I mean, the, the horror flicks of the 1930s, it kind of what introduced me to getting more interested about what else there is in store for that era. And I also love the, the symphonic music. You know, I'm a big instrumental music guy. Yeah, yeah. How, how the movies start out with credits and the... Uh, a list of all the actors, directors, and, and then it eventually gets into the film. Like some people might kind of be turned off by that if they've been used to watching more modern movies, yeah. but I enjoyed kind of be able to digest everything before it gets into the, the meat of the film. Yeah, I agree with, with that, the whole title cards and the credits at the beginning, because it's, it's kind of neat. What, you know, you get to hear the music, you get to see who's in it, who directed it and stuff. Whereas, you know, nowadays you're having to watch something going on in the movie while these credits are going on and it's kind of no like no one pays attention to them for the most no part. yeah and i and they, they that's probably the conclusion they came to were like you know they're like we don't need to do all this at the beginning let's just you know let's just have the credits roll over the movie um, and as but, a and as a result sorry to interrupt that's okay. uh at the end of these a lot of these older films you don't see any credits mm -hmm. just, it's just the end and it's that you're done yeah you're done you move <laughs> yeah. on go go nice home sense and... of, nice sense of finality and it's so funny yeah. teaching teaching high school because you know they don't understand you know that so when we watch an older movie and you got all these credits on they're like why is this taking so long i'm like that's how that's how movies <laughs> were back then like they didn't do like they do now where the credits are really at the end and you kind of see the opening credits while watching the movie it's like this is what they did you know it's like they they 
they played music and you saw who was in it at the the same time as you know the music's playing and just you did this first this was the first thing you did and it does a great job setting the tone for the film i mean i agree i totally agree and like the music is it yeah setting the tone totally agree with that and the and with the music as well i feel like they go through uh excerpts of multiple musical mm-hmm. motifs that you'll eventually hear. You can, it's like a film. play. I mean, it's like a play, mm-hmm. you know, like you were saying, um, Jake, it's kind of like, you know, everything it's like a, a, a play on film. And so they're like, Hey, here's all the music that you should probably listen to. So that when these characters come up, you'll understand why. What are your thoughts on like the cinematography of, I guess, most uh, films of that era and probably eras after that, you know, with the uh, mm. limited instances of tight shots. It just feels like a lot of the cam works, uh, like a, a, as, as Jake was saying, kind of a play audience stage theater perspective where you're seeing a lot on screen at once. Uh, for me, like, I mean, I enjoy it. It, it kind of, lack of intimacy i feel like yeah you're right because you know close-ups were invented so that we can see the emotion on somebody's face um and so there really wasn't i mean there are a little bit like casablanca has a little bit of it you know Mm. um it kind of as as years went by but yeah you're right it you know the first movie that's coming to mind is the wizard of oz where there really wasn't a lot of close-ups there was mostly you know maybe a medium close-up at the at the or a medium long shot at the most you know where it's from the waist up or the knees up and um or at the least the most anyway um not a lot of real close-ups so you don't get to see that emotion in a character's face but then again you know you think the wizard of oz i mean yeah it's kind of emotional but it's not really have you all seen the wizard of oz i've seen you have and yeah if you if you yes. have how how long has it been since you've seen it it's only kid. been a couple of years for me there was a time when i was a teenager that we watched it fairly often mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and so i i mean only reason i can break it up now i watched it with my students not too long ago because it was part of the curriculum and you know it i didn't had been realize a- till just now that it was a 1930s film it's 1939. So it's like right at the end. Tail, okay. Yeah. Tail end of the thirties. Um, and so that, and that was kind of when color was introduced, right? Full color in film. Um, because, and if you notice, and the cool thing about that film is like it, it uses Kansas as the black and white, you know, and then uses color for Oz, which makes a lot more sense, right? Because you have this fantastical place and they're like, oh man, you know what we can do? Kansas can be boring black and white where, you know, because Dorothy wants to leave. She wants to go somewhere over the rainbow and that's what Oz is for. So, you know, why, if we're going to do somewhere over the rainbow, we need to make it in color and it needs to be bright colors, you know? So greens and yellows, mostly. We know Um, the technique uh, who invented the technique of color film? I mean, is, was there a certain company back then? Uh, color Technica well, or uh, it was Technicolor. That was Technicolor. the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the first ones to to really patent the the color process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for film. Yeah, and it looked really good. You know, for the time, especially even now, it still looks really good. Like, like I said, I watched it with a bunch of high schoolers and I was like, man, this movie still is really good looking. Like, you know, you had the Yellow Brick Road, which is straight up yellow you know <laughs> like you can't mistake the color and then oz <laughs> which is emerald or no, oz emerald city which yeah man imagine them singing that song with the film being black and white <laughs> i mean we just have to trust that the freaking road is yellow you know <laughs> it's like and then emerald city we're like okay well i guess it's emerald you know it's like it some makes sort of you green. wonder it makes you wonder if movies back then especially during more of the black and white films if they avoided dialogue or any reference to objects and and color it makes me wonder and want to go back to kind of analyze that it makes probably they did avoid trying to specify the color of things thinking of like the whole referring to to color in black and white um actually something a little more modern american horror story i think season 10 where they had the it was called the the um double feature or whatever so the first half was a story about these um essentially like zombies that we're in this town but the second half was in black and white and color so kind of like the wizard of oz so when it referred when it was in the old days with um oh god who was the president that uh i can't remember the freaking president's name but um, when eisenhower eisenhower dwight d eisenhower it was eisenhower anyway it had to do with aliens and stuff so that part was in black and white but then 
it had present day, which was in color. But there was a point where um, Eisenhower's wife went to like this place where humans lived to essentially serve the aliens. And it was in black and white. And when she walked in, another character was like, oh, it's about time someone brought some color in here. But it was in black and white. And everybody was apparently wearing white except for her. She was wearing pink. And so mm-hmm. but it, it was kind of neat because she was like, it's about time someone brought some color in here. But you don't you don't know really what color she's wearing until you see her in color later um, because it, it jumps to the future where they're still alive. They're still the yeah. same age. It is, it is kind of neat. That's really the only time I've heard anybody in black and white refer to something, you know, a different color inside their world, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, so, or um, what's the movie with Tobey Maguire? Um, Spider-Man. Wonder Boys. <laughs> Who want No. Oh, uh, what's it called? Sea Biscuit. Wonder Boy. Oh, yeah, that was a good movie. I forgot about that movie. That's, that was Tobey Maguire and uh, Black and White. That's yeah. another black and white film where that, color is introduced into that world. introduced to the film. Oh, also, good. some amazing special effects in that yeah. film. Good, uh, um, good pick, man. That was that's good. Good job. That's what Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire. Have you seen that movie, Zach? Yeah. Mm, I don't think so. It's a it's, movie about what is it about? These uh, it's essentially these siblings. Yeah, um, okay. who's the the brother of the two is Tobey Maguire, and he's obsessed with this black and white TV show. Uh, Tobey Maguire's character is obsessed with this black and white TV show, and they are visited by a mysterious TV repairman, and essentially gets sucked into the show. And because um, because Toby is so familiar with that TV show, because they take on the roles of they take on the roles of two characters, and they have to play their characters. So he's doing great, and his sister is having a hard time because she doesn't watch the show. And essentially, um, as the show progresses, they get love interests and they start, you know, causing trouble. And essentially, they start feeding emotion into the townsfolk. And as the townsfolk start feeling emotion, then color is introduced into their lives. And it's and it's all really a, a really kind of blame play on um, the aspect of racism and otherness. Yeah. Um, but it's a really great film. And that was something... Speaking of the color being introduced to black and white, right? That was, that was a film that, I yeah, nice, nice job, man. That's a good pick. I haven't seen that movie ever. Um, so the next movie I wanted to talk about from the 30s specifically is a movie I freaking loved. It's King Kong, the original King Kong. Have y'all seen it? Yeah, nope. okay, so it's. Um, it's in black and white. So it's a movie about this um, this director who wants to film. Uh, I can't remember exactly what he wants to film. I think it's some sort of tribe or some or film on this this remote island. I think it was. He just wanted to shoot a movie on this remote island, and he find he 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 needs a female lead. So he finds this random girl, kind of, you know, she she ends up being his female lead and they go to this island to shoot, but then they find out that this tribe lives there. And this, um, then there's also this, these giant monsters. So the, if you guys have seen any recent Godzilla slash King Kong movies, you know, that Godzilla's from, what do you mean? Where like where he, he lives. Monster Island. No, Skull Island. Well, Monster Island and the, the Toho films. I don't, I don't count the American legendary films. Well, that's where he's origins. from. <laughs> well, that's where he's from. It, well, King Kong is American. King Kong isn't isn't Toho. I know that, but yes, okay. where Godzilla is from. I always refer. Oh to no, I asked where Toho King Kong origins. was from. Sorry, I asked where Godzilla. Or King Kong was from. That's what well. I meant. In that case, uh, Skull Island. You know, in the King Kong versus uh, Godzilla in 1962, it's it, it's a different island. Oh, is it really? Okay, I need to watch I that. You I, dare I, question my intelligence? Yeah, that uh, that movie I haven't seen in a very long time either. Um, I do remember watching it as a kid because I, I believe like, it's called oh, Faro. I believe it's called Faro Island. Okay. Well, in the original movie, they go to Skull Island. Um, that's where they find out that these giant monsters live there, and one of them is King Kong. And they era island, my bad. Get this man on the quiz show. <laughs> I trusted, I trusted you, Zach. I trusted you. So they go to this island. If they, they see King Kong, and they end up taking him back, and he's essentially like a, a sideshow act, and he escapes, and you know the infamous climbing on the skyscrapers. And spoiler alert, he dies. I'm just now realizing that Mighty Joe Young is a Disney-fied version of king kong isn't he did you guys watch marty joe young no i never saw it. i know it's in clips oh, God. yeah i've never seen it um it's essentially it's 
it's essentially King Kong. Disney but version. It's it's like a children's movie. King instead. Kong isn't a bad movie and for it, children either. <laughs> uh, a couple different versions too. There's a 1949 and then the the 98 version of M- Mighty Joe Young. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So anyway, back to King Kong. Uh, <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> well, anyway, um, <laughs> Mighty Joe Young's the kid version. Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's that's what I know. I know Mighty Joe Young, which I just I just realized because wow. I'm an idiot that that's just like a disneyfied version of, of king kong <laughs> well now i gotta watch it but would you say king kong uh, the 30s one is a tragedy depends on who you think the hero is right well obviously king kong beauty killed the beast king of the kong but he he like loves kong. her and she i think you know not necessarily has romantic feelings for him but she feels for him as well because you know, so I mean, I guess, yeah, you can consider it a tragedy because he does. Are you die, telling me? I did. Are you telling this movie is a New York, a noir with a monkey? No. Okay. Not that deep. Yeah. No. That'd be Not a great even. film. Though. Talk about the just. I mean, how revolutionary seeing the. Thank you. Animation <laughs> of that time. What, I'm what's, trying what's it called? so hard to derail us. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Uh, so here's the cool thing about King Kong that I really, really loved. Like, it's a great movie. The plot is great. Um, the acting isn't, isn't bad. You know, it's, you know, back then acting wasn't act. It was like overacting almost like really dramatic. If it was something was dramatic, then yeah. If if it was something was really dramatic, it was, you know, you knew it was dramatic. Um, but you knew it was dramatic because the music helps and it swells or whatever. For sure. And it wasn't as like subtle as it is nowadays. Um, it was like, you knew the music was there. Um, so back then though, to get a giant monkey on screen, there had things had to be done, you know? So if you notice, um, and here's what I think it was, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure like if you saw the real actress, you know, of, of King Kong standing in front of King Kong, it was probably some sort of projection that she was looking at, um, is what I'm guessing. Does that make sense? Some sort of like film version of the movie, like of King Kong in front. But if you saw, like, if you ever, if you ever watch this movie and he's holding her, it's clearly like a doll version. And it was a lot of stop motion animation involved in this movie, but it like doesn't for me, it didn't detract me from the movie. It didn't take me out of it being like, oh, man, that's that's stop motion. Like, this is stupid. You know, stop motion and live action together. It wasn't really this. This is the only way that they're going to get, you know, animation and live action together to stop motion because, you know, animation was kind of new back then. Um, And so that's kind of the the great thing about that movie. It was like they did it and they did it really, really well. So if you if you haven't seen King Kong, go back and watch it and watch how revolutionary that that animation with the live action is it it, like yeah you can tell it's fake it's a freaking giant monkey you know but it's like (laughs) but they did it really well especially for 1930 freaking three 1933 when film was like kind of sophisticated you know they did the best with what they had and there's some iconic scenes you know the the fight scene with kong and the dinosaur that he jams uh, oh my tree god branch down the throat and maybe you think it even yes. opens he and splits opens, his, opens the jaw he pulls open the jaw and yeah i oh my god that was and so that good. scene was ever since like uh, that move was replicated in other well, kong iterations it makes me think of um god what is the first star wars movie for my mind a new hope. hope. Thank you. I don't know why I forgot that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, a new hope. You know when we when just, Obi and and there goes and there goes all my credibility. <laughs> there goes all my credibility. We lost thirty percent of the beginning. We lost. I can't believe I did that. Right like, now. well, it was in my head, and then I forgot it. I got nervous, guys. Or you could just say and, Star Wars. And, and let me go ahead and tell you, my dog is my dog is freaking out, and he's getting on my nerves. Um, I think he wants out. So I'm also having to like because he keeps like jumping on me, and I'm having to push him off. So it's making me forget things. So in A New Hope, you know, when Obi-Wan disappears and uh, and Darth Vader steps on his his cloak or whatever to make sure he's really not there, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So in, in King Kong, that's kind of what he does when he when he opens up that dinosaur's mouth and like kills him. He kind of like hits it to make sure make sure the dinosaur is dead <laughs> and it's really funny to watch um it is i mean it was kind of it was kind of cool back then you know because with older movies especially you know you didn't need logic for for plots for plot points at all you could just do something like like space jam you know you got michael jordan hanging out with the looney tunes and there's no re- rhyme or reason he's just he gets sucked they need a they need a star for a basketball game they take michael jordan
Jordan and it's all good. You know, Go I just can't imagine being audience member of Kong in the, the 30s and seeing that. Oh, I bet it would have been scary. That animal. You know, I mean, that was a lot of people must have been, them. been struck, awestruck, and probably yeah. people probably want to see it the, again the following day. They were so hype. I, mean, I would love. I want to see reviews if there's if, if there if reviews exist. I thought like I want to read some of the earliest reviews of that movie and see oh, what I people bet, I bet you're telling my friends, guys. I saw this movie. It was incredible. <laughs> there was this monkey in it. Giant monkey. It was incredible. <laughs> it looks real. I mean, it's probably thought it looked real. Best cinema, guys. We, well, you know, Pete. Here's the thing: is you know, movies. Um, they had real tigers in that movie too. Movies. You know, people when when movies were first introduced, it wasn't like plot driven movies. It was just like, hey, let's point a camera at this thing and film it. So, you know, the first movies essentially were like an arrival of a train at the station, feeding the baby um, and leaving the factory. You know what those movies were about? An arrival, a train of a station. It was about feeding a baby like it was literally just taking it. And, and and they consider them documentaries because it was literally just taking it and showing it. But, you know, an arrival of the train at the station, people thought that this train was going to jump out at them yep. because it was coming. It was coming from the it was like a, a faraway shot to a close up. And people thought, you know, that's just and 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 with like you said, with the the monkey, like a giant monkey, people were like, holy, sh-, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> the monkey look real. You know, it's like you keep you keep progressing in movies and making things look real. You know, somehow it might people might actually believe it, you know, not necessarily believe that a giant monkey is real, but believe that he, you know, how did the heck did they do this kind of thing? You know, I mean, there was nothing really to compare. Yeah, exactly. Do. Like, I can't imagine any other movie that was that came before that that had that technology. Yeah, that that had a freaking giant monkey in it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> King Kong I, is a great great example of a really good revolutionary 30s movie. Might be a great um, place to start too. People that don't know much about the 30s films. I mean, it's a enjoyable movie. Yeah. Yeah. What would you guys suggest? So for the plebs, the plebeians out there, such as myself, who haven't watched 1930s films, what would you suggest? Well, I would definitely suggest King Kong. Not necessarily. I mean, yes, it was a great, great revolutionary film, but it's just a it's just a cool film. You know, and it has name recognition too. I yeah, a lot of people have heard sure. of the name King Kong. Um, I would also suggest Wizard of Oz, no doubt. But I would also suggest Gone with the Wind, mainly because Ooh, it no, was wrong. well, only because it was an Oscar-winning movie. So if wrong. you want to, it doesn't matter. I've yet to yeah, see it. I haven't seen it either. The but... most dis- the most disappointing film I ever watched was Gone with the Wind. Here's my contrarian take, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> since apparently I'm the contrarian, yeah, I got I it. Watch Gone with the Wind with my parents when I was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. This is a long ass movie. It's like three yeah. and a half hours. That's if it's crazy. not three and a half hours, it certainly feels like it. And it and doesn't... Every scene, I was telling myself, it has to get better. This is an <laughs> Oscar winning movie. This is a historical film. This is a basis of our of our filmography. You have to watch this movie. This is an amazing film. And every scene, it kept getting worse. This is the most boring, drawn out, self-obsessed of work i've ever had the displeasure of watching i don't care if it's oscar winning well you know i don't care if it was it was it's an awful movie don't watch it i'm gonna say don't watch this all right well another uh, another movie jake watch the movie go ahead (laughs) there's a movie that won a couple oscars it's called all quiet on the on western, western front, front. Mm-hmm. and it takes place in during world war one follow it's english language but uh you know german youth um, they it's it's just following uh the, the germans uh, in their actions during world war one apparently it won numerous awards it was made in 1930 yeah. um, two hours and 32 minutes i've yet i haven't seen it but i like war films and that seems like something i'd be up my alley i don't know is there is there a remake of that movie yeah. Okay. I think I've seen the remake because I'm pretty sure we watched it in high school and it was, it was, it was a good movie. Um, it was 1979. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we watched the remake. Cause I mean, I don't think, you know, wizard of Oz. Yeah. We can show that to high schoolers. Cause that's kind of a, a, <laughs> a landmark movie, you know, but all quiet on the Western front. I don't think it would fly. They can't experience the horrors of war. No, it, it's going to be boring for them. It's just, that's just how it is. That's how high schoolers are. You know, like I showed, Every movie that I've shown them besides Citizen Kane, they've liked it if it's in black and white, you know? Um, wait, they're wait, like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, you said every movie you showed them besides Citizen Kane, they yeah. like 
if it's in black and white. Well, when I say that, I mean like there. I sh- I'm like I show them a movie. They're like, it's in black and white, and I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh man, and then they're like, oh, I really like that movie, except for Citizen Kane, but which they don't like Citizen Kane. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know we're not talking about what the 40s yet, but Citizen I mean, Kane. It's right there on the cusp. Yeah. Citizen Kane is a very um, technically great movie. And when I say technically, I mean the film techniques that Orson Welles used in that movie, like is insanely awesome. But the movie itself, like even the story is just, is, is very bland. It's just about a report of the rise and fall of a, of a newspaper man. I would agree That's what it's that. about. Yeah, I, I mean, when I when I was told about Citizen Kane, it was referred to as the best film. What I realized by that was that it's actually the most important film, not necessarily the yeah, best. I would agree. Stories wise, it's the best because it changed the way that we create cinema. Yeah. But the story itself is not necessarily the best. Yeah. And I didn't understand that for a long time. Well, I watched it in college. And I didn't understand why this movie was great. I was like, this movie did, was not good. But then I, I, you know, when I taught it and then rewatching it again, I was like, okay, I can see why people love this movie. Cause he did things that people just didn't do. Like he, he had deep focus shots where you could see everything behind. And then he just had crazy shots, like shots of people's com- people having conversations, but you don't see their freaking faces. You see their feet, you know? Um, and then he just did kind of cool things like with, with a giant audience, a wide shot of an audience, but it was just, you know, a, a, a matte, drawing with with holes poked in them and light shining through it so it could seem like the audience was moving i know we're not talking about the 40s but i could talk about citizen kane all day my understanding of the 1930s film environment was there was a lot of films that were made not a lot of them were great but the few that were good went down in history i think i read i read in a book you read a book i read a book i I didn't know you could read you know what that's from (laughs) you know what that's from that's you know that's the, from that's a quote from Harry Potter. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. What was it in the in 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 like the nineteen like thirties or something? They averaged like seven hundred and sixty six. Well, it's because a year or something like that. Movies that an ungodly amount of films. Right. It sounds like Bollywood, man. They they average like hundreds of movies a year. Even now, they make movies all all day long. Um, Chaplin. Oh, Chaplin. Um, Robert Donnie Jr. He played as yes. mm-hmm. Chaplin in the remake. I haven't seen it. It's on my Hulu list. Yeah. One of my students was like, did you know Robert Downey Jr. played? Because we we did a Charlie Chaplin uh, section and and we watched a Charlie Chaplin movie, um, which if you haven't seen, it's called The Kid. It's about an hour long. It's silent, but it's really good. Um, City Lights. It's really good. so if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It uh, looks like Tarzan came out then. My mom freaking loved Tarzan, man. Tarzan the Ape Man. I should watch that. I, I really want to go back. I, I should watch a lot of these movies. What I need to do is find a list, you know, top 10 movies from each of these decades and try to watch them as much as I can. It's kind of hard to sit down and watch movies, though, for me, because I don't know if I told you guys, but I'm a teacher. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, harkening back to our, our last conversations about streaming versus films. I find it a lot easier to stream TV shows over movies because I, I usually can block out 20 minutes. I have a hard time with 90. Well, you know, it's funny that it's funny that you say that because people people can sit down and binge TV shows, but they won't sit down and watch a movie. Why is that? And and I'm the same way. You know, I well, I think it's because TV shows thirty minutes an hour, and then you're on to the next episode. I don't know. There's there's something there where people are okay with that, but for some reason, when they watch a movie, it's just a different ball game. You know, it's like I can't sit down and watch a movie, but I can sit down and binge a TV show for eight hours. I don't want to get too far off track from the 1930s, but if yeah. I had to take a guess, I feel like. TV shows have more packed into them for the amount of time that you watch them. It's like reading a book. So if you watch, exactly. So if you watch three episodes of a TV show versus one film, you get more content from those oh. episodes than you would a film. But that's, yeah. we're getting off track. Let's go back. That's let's okay. go back in history to 1930. Um, so it looks like Scarface. There's a version of Scarface from the 1930s. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen either Scarface movie. Sorry if we lost 30% of our viewership there. <laughs> just taking them off. One, one <laughs> just, keep kill, just keep killing them off, man. Um, there's a movie here. It's called Little Caesar and it makes me want pizza. Uh, <laughs> 
Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Okay. From 1931. I would watch monster movie. Mm-hmm. I would watch that. Um, About a Christmas girl. Is there or Scrooge? Yes. Oh, cool. Um, I like a Muppet Christmas girl. All the Zorro films. Let me just tell you, I'm a sucker for the Muppets. I know we're not talking about the Muppets, but I'm a sucker for the Muppets. We should do a Muppets episode. Oh, my God. Can we do a Muppets episode, guys? Absolutely. Oh, sure. my God. You're like, sure, whatever, dude. I don't have anything to say about the good Muppets. <laughs> whatever. This is your podcast. <laughs> you know what, Jake? That calls me the father of this podcast. I heard that. How come you don't twice. call me? Yeah, how come you don't call me the father of the podcast? Well, my... My memory. He doesn't view you as daddy. I guess coming to me and asking to start one with you. So (laughs) he doesn't view you as daddy. (laughs) You need to view me as daddy, Jake. I remember you coming to me. Yeah, but you know, you know what though? I when we were talking about it, I was like, oh my god, we have to get Zach in on this. Yeah, like there's no way, like. uh, Let me just. I know we're we're supposed to be talking about thirties, but let me just tell you something about Zach and and Zach. Um, I, I super appreciate this about you is we're big fans. That's not what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> whenever I started at um, channel seven, Zach was the first person to try and get to know me as a person, not romantically, you know, just 20, it was 20, 2018. I think when I started a long time ago, Yeah, but you know, we went at that dinner and nobody's, I mean, they were kind of talking to me, but freaking Jocelyn kept calling me Chris. And I was like, my name is not Chris. <laughs> and, uh, I remember that who else was on that? Me, you, Jocelyn, Shelby. And I think Abby. And I think, it was Oh like, yes. I remember that night. Now when, once you mentioned it. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah well, no, we went to the Italian place Italian next door. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And so Zach was the only one who, who got to know me. And because of that, Zach and I became friends and we connected over movies. And so when I came to you, Jake, about the podcast, I was like, you know, cause Jake and I have been trying to find a project to do together. Yeah. We've, we've whether, been looking to make stuff yeah, together. Like, and so I was like, oh my God, I got to do a podcast and I can do it with Jake. And then we were talking and I was like, dude, we have to get Zach involved. Like that is, that was the conversation we had. Yeah. And then I was hesitant at first, but then I said, yeah. And I was like, no, dude, you need, because you're, yeah. if you're a member, I was like, no, you need to get on the zoom right now. And so I'm glad you did. Sorry. We, we got off a little off track, but that's kind of how the podcast started uh, for those of you who BTS behind the scenes, the origin. I love but the I, cover art of a lot of these. Me just too. Looking at the, the films. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if, if this is accurate to the, what people saw in promotions back in the day, but just very colorful. I yeah, like the. I would like these as like movie posters hanging up on my wall. It's a lot more interesting than a lot of the posters you see these days are all the generic same old you know, Star Wars esque no, headshots. Headshots. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that like it's just a bunch of headshots, like a bunch of you know Avengers Endgame. It's just a bunch of. I mean, you kind of had to do that to get them all in the in the yeah. in the poster, but it's like that should be an episode poster. Art? Talk about posters. Yeah, Good. that'd be great. Uh, yeah, that'd art. be cool. But yeah, I do like some of these. Like I, I would love to have some of these on my wall. I wonder if they were color when they were like promoting. I'm sure they were the movies. Yeah. Here's the- Here's the thing about the 1930s and I, earlier films before I'm going to say really before it was really industrialized, which again, I, I know that's ironic because 1930s was really the start of the industrialization of films. As far as like the posters and artwork go, they were still considered art pieces as opposed to Maybe advertisement for the film. They weren't used to as a, they weren't used solely as a the marketing as an advertisement piece. Mm-hmm. They were actually used as pieces of artwork themselves the artistry yeah. put right. into that work outside of his relation to the film so yeah, I can see that. yeah i was going to say you can totally see that and it's kind of the same with with video game cases or boxes you know because when video games came out originally they were in boxes carpet boxes and if you look at the artwork it's kind of reminiscent of that where you know, you have these, these great, great art art pieces, you know, on the box, but they're not, they don't, they're more realistic on the box, but then you, you, you know, you hook up your Atari and it's just super blocky guy. Three pixels. (laughs) I mean, it's nothing like what the box, but the boxes look cool. You know, one other movie I wanted to point out from the thirties that I just saw was a star is born. If you remember a couple few years ago, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper did a version of this movie as well. Um, So there's been several versions 
this movie come out? Little Women. Oh, also. did that come out in the 30s? Man, we... Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, look, here's of Mice and Men. Have you ever seen... Um, have you all read the book of Mice and Men? No, I don't think so. I oh, I my God, guys. I'd have been assigned to read it back in the day, but man, I don't probably skim through it. We read it in, in the English class, but it was it's such a good book. And um, the movie... There, there, here's a 1939 version of the movie, but there's also another movie with um, Gary Sinise. You all know who Gary Sinise is? Lieutenant Dan. But anyway, there's Lieutenant Dan. Is that from SpongeBob? You. <laughs> that's Dirty Dan. Dirty Dan. Oh my <laughs> yeah, that's Dirty Dan. Um, Lieutenant Dan is from Forrest Gump, and uh, I've seen played... that movie. I have it on DVD though. I wasn't allowed to watch Forrest Gump. Zach, really? Zachariah. My dad hates it. Zachariah, dude, that movie is so. I like good. '90s movies, so that movie movies. is so good. Zach, you listen. I need to say Green Mile, too. I do, too. But <laughs> you need to watch Forrest Gump. Seriously, dude. Watch. If I have to drive to freaking San Antonio and watch it with you, I will. No, I won't do that. But <laughs> seriously, Forrest Gump, one of the greatest movies of all time. Okay. That was Joker. Okay. All right. Oh, my God. We're getting <laughs> so off track. There, But there's a 39 version of Mice and Men. That's why I was talking about it. Um, but that's a good, that was a really good movie. Like, the the movie in the book i mean they did a good job well, at least with the newer version of this movie um they did a really good job i think we're good on the 1930s right you guys have anything else you want to say about the 1930s mm. don't watch gone with the wind oh my god watch it at least once watch well, it once every movie how terrible it is every movie every movie is worth watching once it i always thought it was tell you how not to make a self important movie i'm a big world war 2 guys <laughs> and i like how World War II influenced movies. a lot of movies mm-hmm. and like including yeah. within certain scenes of movies. Oh, buy war bonds. Like they're kind of doing little promotions to, mm-hmm. for Americans to support the cause. So, well, well, to be honest, I don't think the war bond stuff would happen until after uh, we got involved, which was 40. One, I well, believe. yeah, it would, so. it, what's the point <laughs> in it if unless we were involved? Yeah. But firstly, we were, yeah, we were an isolationist country, then yeah. we got attacked, and then we got, then and we like, started doing right. the, the marketing and, and film of support the war. But well, you know, earlier on, like, like more obviously, like all quiet on the Western front, that's World War One, but it, it had to do with like war. The war bonds thing was more of a, a promotion before the movie, you know, it's like go buy war bonds, go buy war bonds, support your, support your troops, like, if you can't be in the army or if you can't be in the war, if you can't fight, then you can do this, you know, at the beginning of the movie. And then they'll show the movie that that was kind of the trailer, the yeah. trailers of the day, as as well as, you know, the the singing concession stand items. Yeah. I'm, I'm also like on another kind of a race you know, or, or just having other people play other nationalities. I think they use generally you know, Caucasians for like Asian mm-hmm. uh, uh, actors. I mean, they use uh, Caucasians for, every for everything. Race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, who was one of the first person of color um, to have like a prominent role, whether it was the 30s, 40s? I don't know, I'm to think. That's his name, Bojangles, man. Bojangles. I don't think I don't think I'll he was the first, but he he was a prominent African American actor, singer, dancer from from back then. That um, he had a lot of like big like bigger roles, kind of a you know one of the bigger prominent African American actors. Yeah, so we can talk about that later. All right, well, cool, man. Well, I guess uh, that'll wrap up this week's episode of. Uh, the fantastic Mr. Podcast. That was a good, that was a good, uh, I think that was a good conversation. Guys. It was a good conversation. Um, I'll be interested to see how many people are interested. also in. love or have any interest That's, in the 30s. If you do have any episode ideas for us, or if you just want to say hello, or you want to say you suck, you know, you can hit us up on YouTube, f- uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the fantastic Mr. Podcast. Please, uh, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to us. And I guess, uh, guys, you want to say goodbye to everybody? Yo. <laughs> hey guys. Okay. <laughs> I love how you're like, hi, <laughs> instead of bye. All right. Well, that, this is a good episode, guys, and we'll uh, see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.